0: Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. The show is presented to you today by Gasiewicz-Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether it be through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at GasiewiczFrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Millie Baumbush and Craig Frankel and we're talking today about how to protect our aging parents as you may know our law firm is participating in charitable giving in celebration of our 25th anniversary so before we start the show we want to thank our employees for giving to some wonderful charities so far this year including create your dreams community advanced practice nurses street smart youth project inc families first and hillside hospital follow us on facebook at Estate dispute or on our website gasowichfrankel.com for updates
1: and now it's time to introduce our guests we are pleased to have with us today jean canavan an assistant district attorney with the decab county district attorney's office meta johnson president of meta johnson and associates and paul black a partner with brannon and black llc
2: i'd like to start by asking each of you to just tell me a little bit about yourselves we'll start with you jean Okay. Um, I work as the head of the White Collar Crime Unit and the DeKalb County DA's office. And several years ago, um, I came across a case where the people, the scam artists, were actually targeting the elderly and very, very elderly persons in their 80s, 90s, and over 100. And um, that case really made me realize that there are people out there that are actually targeting the elderly for exploitation uh, made me very angry and also made um, made us make a change in our office to focus on those crimes and to bring those cases into the white collar unit and give them special
3: attention and I've been doing that for the past seven or eight years yep. okay and then meta what about you well, I am Meta Johnson and Meta Johnson and Associates is a comprehensive care management company. We work with families and seniors to coordinate and oversee their care in this complex aging system that we have. And Paul, how do you help the elderly?
4: And for me as an elder law attorney, I work with many clients who are aging in a long-term care, whether it's assisted living or a nursing home. We help them apply for benefits through the Veterans Administration or through Medicaid. And we deal with a lot of other uh, late life issues and a lot of vulnerable clients. And so we take a special interest in making sure that they are protected.
1: And just to start off, um, I know that all of us think about clients and our parents as aging in different ways. They slow down maybe mentally, physically. Um, we hear the phrase diminished capacity. What What is it that you see? Um, how is it that our elderly citizens need assistance.
0: When she says diminished capacity and we hear that that's because we're lawyers and we hear that that's actually more of a legal word of diminished capacities. what I think the word that we hear is vulnerable or just aging. Mm-hmm. So so,
1: so
2: how, how do you see the elderly as vulnerable or aging what are their needs? Well I can say um, when there are scam artists out there they're targeting the elderly for a variety of reasons and one of them is Um, the the elder generation is is more of a saving generation they simply have more money um, nest eggs they've worked very hard to save it their intention is to leave it to their children um, but the scam artists out there want to stop that they want to take that money for themselves Um, also one of the first things that um, it becomes difficult for an elder person to do long before they have dementia or have to be you know put into a facility um, is actually manage a budget because there's a lot of moving parts and so losing your financial capacity makes you much more vulnerable to someone with an investment scam or some sort of a scheme, Um, and so there's that as well.
0: Gene, I've heard you talk about, I've heard you speak many times, <laughs> I've heard you talk about predators and scam artists and opportunists. Yes. T- t- tell us what the kind of the difference is.
2: Okay, that's that's my own um, categorization. I know there are people out there um, who do nothing else but target the elderly to steal their money. That's all they do. Um, it's like the Terminator. And it's just, uh, those are the most appalling, evil people. Um, and I think they're going to a special place someday. Mm-hmm. Um, those people, they can be Irish travelers, telemarketers, telemarketers. Um, people who are using God very often or the church um, to try to get people to trust them. And those are the people that uh, we really want to simply lock up. We want to put them in prison and hopefully protect elderly people for at least the period of time that they're incarcerated. Um, Opportunists, unfortunately, are very often family members who see an opportunity with an elderly aunt um, or even their own mother and father um, to simply take the money that they are simply tired of waiting for. Uh, mom or dad is not dying soon enough, and so they simply want that money. Um, and they'll even take them out of nursing homes where they're being cared for, put them in their own homes, and that way they can live off their social security or their pension checks. Uh, but they will not care for them. They will. They will neglect them, and sometimes they even die in those homes. And that's that's the crime of opportunity.
0: And, and Meta, I assume you're seeing that, not met, that where the the care isn't as good because it looks like the children care more about the money. Than they do about the parent.
3: Yes, absolutely. It is like they are either using their inheritance then or protecting their inheritance, and the the parent is often doesn't want to do anything about it. I mean, we've had cases where we know the person isn't being fed. Uh, we can document that by doctor's office visits, uh, but yet when adult protective services goes there the mother won't even let him in because she loves her son and it's hard for people to believe that their own child would take advantage of them in that way but they do
0: and i'm assuming and paul you might be able to address this that the parent is often afraid of even if not mentally diminished is afraid that the child will stop taking care of them and think it will be worse if they say something is are you seeing that
4: we, we do see that sometimes. And for us as elder law attorneys, the vast majority of our calls are made by, you know, the adult caregiver who's almost always, I'd say 85% of the times, you know, it is a, you know, the daughter or another female. And there is a lot of vulnerability, uh, you know, for mom or dad. They are understandably hesitant to speak out because their care is in the hands of those children or others. And for them to speak out, uh, if they are fearful of the consequences, um, there there is a uh, a silence we have to break through quickly. And we're speaking with our older clients.
1: And and when you talk about um, when all of you talk about the care of an elderly person, it seems to me there are sort of two components. One is the healthcare side, and one is the care of their finances and assets. So talking about the healthcare side first, um, what are the what are the issues that you're
0: seeing,
3: Meta? Well, as we age we are mortal we do diminish
0: we do we're not mortal before that
3: (laughs) well we don't even like to think that we're mortal now that's only my teenage children (laughs) (laughs) that's right so we do decline physically and we do decline cognitively even if you don't have dementia your processing is slowed as you age uh, so so that's a concern from the financial aspect, from the healthcare care uh, arena as well. And as far as the health is concerned, these seniors want to maintain their independence. That is the American way. I can do it myself. I can take care of myself. And yet physically, we do decline. We're not as strong. We uh can't walk as well, so therefore you're a fall risk. You may lose capacity to for some of your activities of daily living, which is just the healthcare buzzword for eating and dressing and grooming and toileting and showering. Um, so you lose those capacities. And then with healthcare in particular, they don't always administer their medications properly because they don't understand them or what they're for. And when they go to the doctor, they can't process as fast as our medical system gives us information.
0: That is so nice the way you said that, because Mm -hmm. our doctors don't have enough time. And I found when I was dealing with my mother, when she was very ill, not only was it difficult for her to process it, she was scared to death and it was difficult to understand. And I found something that was surprising to me because I'm the son, I'm the youngest son in fact, was that my parents were afraid to ask the difficult questions. And one of the things that my role was when I went and I had to drive them, was to ask questions that they wouldn't ask and to get an answer and filter it in a way that was usable by them. Because otherwise in their generation, they just do what the doctor says.
4: And Craig, I want to observe just a, the, the real politique of, you know, practicing medicine. If you are a physician and you are taking Medicare or Medicaid, to have a profitable practice, you have to have not hundreds, but in some cases, thousands of patients. The average face time for a physician seeing an older patient is probably between five and eight minutes. That is not a lot of time. And you're absolutely right that if there is not an adult child or someone else there who is asking tough questions, mom or dad are not going to to ask those or maybe even have time to do so.
0: And of course you've also got the transmission. Even if the adult was there and was understanding it, it's still got to be communicated to the family so Mm -hmm. they can assist and that's often hard and it's almost like that little story of the kids telling a story around going around the potato around a a room. What's the truth when it gets down to the bottom? Mm
3: -hmm. Yes, I think that that's a very good point. Uh, They misinterpret what's being said, the little bit that they can understand, uh, simply because of the speed of what things, and it's new information. I thought you brought up a good point about that your uh, parents were scared to death, because whatever is said to them, they're like, am I going to die from that? I had a client recently that's newly, he's 91, um, and he's newly diagnosed with diabetes, You know, we're just going to manage it with diet at this point. But when I said diabetes, his eyes got as big as saucers and said, am I going to die? Am I going to die? And I said, no, not from diabetes. So somebody to help interpret what all of that means is very important. And we as care managers, if the family uh, can't accompany our clients to the doctor's and exchange appropriate information that's another thing the elders don't always give the doctors the appropriate information because they want to go to the doctor how are you doing i'm doing fine then the senior can go home and say no worries the doctor says i'm doing fine you stop worrying about me children
0: and and not to give you a plug but let me give you a plug this Mm -hmm. is really where caregiver i mean healthcare advisors be of the most assistance, um, because it's very hard to understand these things, and WebMD, as good as it is, uh, our parents aren't looking at it.
1: And, and also, we've got um, families who have members far flung across the United States, so I think having a caregiver, a professional caregiver, can sometimes help facilitate communications between the elderly parent and the adult children who aren't nearby and who really don't know what's going on. And they're getting just as little information from their parent as the parent is giving the doctor. I'm before, fine. Everything's fine. Before Absolutely. we move on, let me
0: just remind everybody that we're listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts today, Millie Bombush, that's not me, and Craig Frankel mm-hmm. from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaswich Frankel. And we're talking to Gene Kennevan, Meta Johnson, and Paul Black, and discussing the topic of how to protect our aging parents.
1: Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how to protect parents in terms of finances. What are you all seeing that, that are the dangers and vulnerabilities?
4: Well, when families come to us, uh, it is most often the adult children who are initiating that conversation. Um, money is on their mind because what elder laws traditionally deal in are benefits to help pay for long-term care. Not every family has a, you know unlimited uh, you know, bank account and can afford to pay for you know, a $5,000 a month assisted living or an $8,000 a month nursing home. So um, one of our big concerns is, uh, and this may seem like a very basic question, but I think it's a very important one, who is our client? In most cases, the senior is our client. Our duty is to make sure that they are on board with the planning. They understand what's going on, even if the conversation mostly happens with the adult children. And if we fail to clarify that, then we're doing our older clients a great disservice because we're not going to put their adult children in the driver's seat without the full consent uh, of um, of that parent. And because of the aging process, as Meta has described, and because we do process things more slowly, understanding by that aging parent is a moving target.
0: So, Paul, you're telling me that normally it's going to be an adult family member that comes to you, but you've got to be cautious and remember, both for them and for you, that you represent the elderly. Meta, I assume for you, it's also typically a caregiver or an adult family member coming to you saying, we need help. Yes. Jean, who's coming to you? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> Sometimes I literally, there'll be um, an elderly woman sitting in our lobby and they'll say, oh, send her to Jean, you know, um, and she'll say, oh, my contractor didn't put my roof on right. Right and every once in a while it really is a criminal matter um, if the contractor took her money and never showed up again but very often that's not the case and so I'll try to send her to the proper place I get cases from the police from APS Um, sometimes it is a family member will call me up and say I think my uncle is being uh, defrauded and so it comes from all over the place
0: are people coming to you, Gene, where they are saying, "I think a family member or somebody, a caregiver, is taking advantage of my parent," and if they do, what is there anything that you can do, or do you have to say, "I'm sorry"? That's not quite rising to the level of criminal.
2: No, um, I certainly would look into it, and very often they're right, um, and it comes down sometimes to looking at bank records, looking at credit cards. Sometimes I'll actually drive out to the elder person's home. Um, I had one time when a woman told me that her sister was terribly abusing her mother, locking her in the house, not feeding her, um, and taking her money, and I actually went out and knocked on the door. And the woman was uh, very well-dressed. The house was beautiful. Um, there are certain things you do in these cases. You actually use your sense of smell. I mean, the, the house was lovely. And she was very nice. And she did have dementia issues because she kept repeating herself. Um, but she was being well cared for. And I found that that was completely unfounded. And so this is the difficulty of being in this area criminally. Is sometimes we simply have siblings fighting over mom or dad's assets. You, and you, we you have, qualified it very, very
0: favorably. Sometimes, <laughs>
2: sometimes, and sometimes the there is a sibling ripping off mom. It does happen, and when that happens, we go into high gear. I will freeze a bank account. Um, I will do whatever needs to be done if there's any money left to freeze um, so that mom has that money. Not so the sibling who's complaining gets the money Um, but there are certainly people out there whose complaints are valid and they aren't looking out for themselves. They are looking out for mom and I'll do what I can to help and then initiate a, a real investigation, open a file, but sometimes we have to act very quickly to try to retain whatever is left of the assets, uh, or you know, stop a house from being sold so that someone can liquidate that house, because then it's very hard to, to get that back after that's happened.
0: Millie and I often get those kind of clients and they say, oh, my mom or my dad need a guardian or a conservator. So so Paul, first, can you tell us what the difference is between a guardian and a
4: conservator? And then I'd like to hear, is it as easy as it sounds? Well. First things first, a guardian is someone appointed to make decisions about our health and welfare, not when we are making bad decisions or decisions that others question, but when we are incapable of making those decisions. And that is a very high bar. In contrast, a conservator is likewise appointed for someone when we can't make decisions about our finances and our assets. Um, Having mom or dad make decisions that we don't agree with or that we question, that is not sufficient. Uh, proving that someone can't make decisions about their health or their finances, that is a very high bar. And just what we tell people very plainly when they call us about guardianship or conservatorship, um, you're probably looking at a four- to six-week wait before a typical uh, permanent guardianship hearing in the Atlanta area. You're looking at thousands of dollars in legal fees. It takes a lot of of our time as attorneys to prepare the petition and then to, to go to court and you're also looking at a huge amount of responsibility thereafter and your court is always going to be looking over your shoulder. So in the end, uh, do people really want that responsibility? And in many cases the answer is no.
1: Paula, a guardianship and a conservatorship seem to be the sort of the last resort efforts. How do you try to strike a balance between an elderly person's wanting independence and yet providing them sometimes the real extreme protection of a guardianship or conservatorship.
4: And Millie, I'm glad you used the word extreme because that's exactly what guardianship and conservatorship are. These are tools of last resort. They should never be the first thing that we reach for in our toolbox. Um, and even once a guardianship or conservatorship is in place, we have a duty to use the least restrictive, you know, means of of protecting that person that are appropriate. Um, easier tools to use, Uh, how about a power of attorney? And even then, what often frustrates an adult child who is serving as power of attorney is if mom or dad does not want to give up the car keys, or for me as a South George native, you know, if dad has firearms he doesn't want to sell, that doesn't mean that you as power of attorney can take those things away. Um, It does mean you have a duty as a fiduciary to be very, you know, to, to, to keep their, um, to protect them in some ways, but not to do so in ways that violate their autonomy, and that central conflict of uh, protective, you know, an adult child wanting to protect versus allowing a senior to have autonomy, um, that is a constant dance and sometimes a battle that I think all of us have to deal with.
0: Meta, talk about that. How do you talk to parents about whether it be driving or guns, which frankly I hadn't thought of, or even using a gas stove? Um, on the same time they want their autonomy and I've never met somebody even when they were starting to go down who admit they couldn't do something or couldn't remember how to do it.
3: Absolutely there again I think that's part of our culture our uh, wanting to be independent and we often do it past the point that it is constructive uh, for the senior to do that but I think the most important thing is to help people remain independent as long as possible. Uh, A very productive use of a care manager is to have then a third party come in because seniors are not the children of their children. You often hear parenting, your parent, that type of expression. I I don't agree with that construct uh, because I think that it emotionally puts people in different positions. So, uh, to be respectful to them. And a good way to take away the car keys is to go to one of the centers, Wesley Woods, DeCab, there are others, and have them take a driving test. Now, this is a senior driving test. It's not going to the motor vehicle place. So it's quite long. It includes some written work, uh one of the things that happens as we may get early dementia is perception. And obviously, perception is a very important part of driving.
0: You mean like depth perception? Or? Yes.
3: And so you can get – that's why you get nicks on cars or, and bumps on the front. So it's depth perception uh, that they have difficulty with. So to to put a neutral – you know, I'm not telling you – mom and dad not to do this let's go let's prove that you can and then i'll feel better and you'll feel better and and i think that's a good way to approach the the key situation otherwise make them part of the decision making going forward so they can feel they still have independence
0: how do they deal with the fact that they will often feel overruled so they're part of the decision But the truth is, from their perspective, the kids are making all the decisions, and they're being ignored.
3: I think children, too, get in a hurry. They're working. They have children. They have grandchildren. Take your time. Again, the processing is slower, and the emotional processing is slower. As the child, you've probably been thinking about this for months. You come in to your parent and say, I think you need to give up the keys. So you have to remember to give the senior, give them that time to process that as well. And and do let them have as much autonomy as possible. Some people, if they will, and some people will, just drive in a small area. The state of Florida actually has a restricted license for seniors that you can only drive within this certain area, which is a whole lot different than taking the car keys away. Also offer them an alternative to how they're going to get around.
0: This is the advantage of you of Uber if you can figure exactly. out how to use the internet.
3: Exactly. For a senior, that is difficult.
0: Paul, you, you had mentioned powers of attorney, and I want to get back to that, but Jean, are you seeing abuses of powers of attorney? Is this one of, for us, it's a growth area, so to speak. But yes. are you seeing this as part of a problem?
2: Yes. I've, I've tried some cases where uh, power of attorney was abused. Um, you can open credit cards if you have a power of attorney. You can withdraw money from the bank. And um, people will do that and simply enrich themselves. And I've had defense attorneys come up to me right before the trial saying, this is a civil matter because there's a power of attorney. Therefore, he has access to these funds or access to the Social Security number. He is entitled to to open these credit card accounts and I say yes he has access and it yes it is a crime and we'll let the jury decide and um, we've had a lot of success because a power of attorney is uh, when you're entrusting someone and a power of attorney is supposed to be for the benefit of the person of the senior in this case Um, and when you enrich yourself at the expense of the senior you you haven't just committed a crime you've committed a breach of trust um, because you're only going to give that power of attorney to someone you really think is going to act in your best interest. So, we've got a lot of emotional uh, results for these for the seniors who have really been betrayed by a loved one. And yes, it is a crime, and no, it is not a civil matter.
0: Although you just gave my closing argument when I represent plaintiffs in breach of trust and abuse of power of attorney cases, uh, because Sorry. it is you, you really <laughs> are entrusting. Paul, tell us a little bit about what we can do in a power of attorney that. Uh, labels us to protect our uh, elderly parent or person such that we can act for them. What can we do to stop that power of attorney from being abused?
4: Well, this is a really tough thing to do because in my world, Craig, as you know, usually people are coming to us in a crisis situation. The power of attorney is going to have a lot of so-called hot powers, the power to make gifts, the power to create trust. These are the kind of powers that are very easily abused in the wrong hands. How do we ensure they are not? Well, you're going to laugh at this, but the first thing that any good elder law attorney should do is size up the potential agent who's acting as a fiduciary for mom or dad. Is there a relationship with longstanding trust? You know, Is there any financial need or crisis on behalf of that adult child? Is there there going to be a great and obvious temptation to abuse those powers? And often the answer is no. But even then, you can have a trustworthy adult child who, in Gene's terms, is going to be an opportunist and use mom or dad's you know, financial assets uh, for the child' advantage.
0: It starts small, and then it gets a little bigger.
4: And I can give you an example. Um, I, I had a client I helped about a year and a half ago who had um, an estranged daughter who was still named as joint account holder on many of mom's accounts and craig as you and millie and gene as you know quite well um, that is one of the other avenues where an adult child can easily steal money from mom or dad and to gene to your point uh having access to the account does not grant you the right to remove funds at will uh there are multiple statutes you know here in georgia the uh the multiple account holder act there's a lot of case law that says you only own in proportion to what you contribute and when you take beyond that that is theft that is a criminal matter um, I've seen that only in my, my young practice uh, once or twice so far Craig abuse of powers of attorney is absolutely rampant and at the end of the day uh, it would be ideal if there were always a, a record uh, of when the power of attorney was used if there were an accounting provided to the um, to the senior and possibly to the other family members about you know all of the expenses and all of the you know the transaction using that POA do and you
0: include that responsibility to do an accounting in your general power of attorneys that you give to your elderly clients
4: so far we haven't but and you you, you may chuckle at this after hearing you speak and we've heard you speak many times but after last Wednesday uh, my law partner Chris and our paralegal soon to be, attorney Kelly and I thought, you know what, you know, requiring an accounting on an annual basis is a very good idea. People are going to dislike that, but it's not hard to do. And as you pointed out, um, anybody who is responsible enough to serve as power of attorney can save receipts. And if you can't operate Quicken or a spreadsheet, you should not be a power of attorney anyway. So so what you need
0: to do, so we need to put this on a recording I can give to my children and just to think that you listen to me. That's actually never happened recently.
1: And just to um, specify, too, who who would you give the accounting to? Because generally when we think of a power of attorney, we think that the agent appointed in a power of attorney is responsible to the person who granted the power of attorney. But it's the elderly person who needs help with his or her finances. And so are we giving the accounting just to that person or to someone else?
4: I think it should be multiple parties. And Millie really nailed what an agency relationship is all about. A power of attorney is an agent serving on behalf of the, that older person as a, the so-called principal. Our job is to carry out their will and do things that they cannot always do for themselves and to be very protective of their interests, but not in ways that deprive them of autonomy. Um, I think one of the biggest ways to have a chilling effect on theft is to not only provide an accounting to that senior who is the, you know, you know, for whom the power of attorney is serving. But what about the siblings? What about the other adults? If I'm power of attorney for my dad, which in my case, I am, uh, you know, my sister lives in California. We have total trust. We communicate on a regular basis. She has access to all of these same accounts. She can see the transactions that I make. I don't provide her with an annual accounting, but I would not be averse to doing so. In contrast, if I were tempted to steal, the idea of having to have everything out in the daylight for all of my, you know, for siblings or others to see, that would probably make me think twice before I, I abuse that power.
0: And that's frankly why we have sunshine laws in government. But the words you use, I like your choice of words, tempted. I think most opportunists are tempted by the opportunity. They're not out to do it. And then when it happens, it grows. Um, you're listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Billy Bombush and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gassowicz Frankel. Paul, you talked about powers of attorney, one thing, and you talked about joint accounts. One question I have is, when you go in to do a joint account with a bank, are there alternatives other than a joint account?
4: I'm so glad you yes. asked, because there absolutely are, and a big part of what we do is educate our clients about the options. Uh, the downside of naming your adult child, you know, or anyone else on a joint account is that they have a license to steal if they want to do so. And at that point, they're going to wind up going to the jeans office a couple of years down the road and saying, how do we get this money back? And then Craig, as you pointed out, you don't uh, thieves spend. It's what they do. Uh, so. I'm forgetting your original question here. I think your question was... So what is the alternative if you don't do a joint account? The alternative to a traditional joint account is going to be a power of attorney. And that is where you can be the power of attorney on a bank account for mom or dad or someone else and be able to act on their behalf. But unlike a joint account, you will not inherit the account after the death of that senior. And that is the big surprise uh, of joint accounts is that if you name your daughter on the account upon your death, you know she will inherit all the money that remains. And that's no surprise to many of us who specialize in this area as attorneys, but uh, to the average person out there, they may not know that a joint account holder is going to own everything. And we have seen kids before, and I'm sure that Gene, that you and, and Craig and Millie have seen this as well, uh, A lot of crafty adult children who will name themselves as joint account holders under the guise of managing finances during mom or dad's life for convenience purposes right exactly but they also know that upon mom or dad's death they are left with whatever is left in those accounts
0: and i want to highlight something that these accounts may appear small at the beginning but as the parent ages and you sell the house and you put money in brokerage accounts these may be the primary assets at the end of the day, particularly the sale of the house, where you often put the money in a brokerage account or put it in a savings or bank account to park it for a while.
4: And, and the I- the sale the sale of the house in our world, you know, most of our clients who come to see us, you know, have you know, I'd say between a hundred thousand and maybe five hundred thousand dollars in assets. The house is is usually a you know a big chunk of that, and it is the sale of the house that often takes a $5,000 checking account into a $180,000 checking account, and that is a much bigger deal and I, you, you nailed it. Um, the sale of a house is what really uh, grows these accounts and it creates untold temptation.
1: So Paul, as you say that um, thieves spend, that's what they do. So if you're a, a sibling, you're living in a state away from mom, um, but you kind of want to monitor what's going on, what are the signs you should be looking for? Um, if you're concerned about mom's finances and maybe what the sibling in town here is doing.
4: Well, my first hope there is that there is language in the power of attorney or at the very least, there's an agreement between the siblings that both siblings have you know, access to the bank account, to the brokerage accounts where they can and, see what's going on. And
0: by the way, when we say an agreement, um, I want to be a little legalistic here. There is nothing wrong with having a contract,
4: a written agreement. And I, I was going to, I completely agree because an agreement as Craig and Gene can t- you know can attest uh, it's not enforceable if it's not in writing. So having, you know, the agreement in writing where, you know, brother in Atlanta says to sister in California, I will, you know, I will share, you know, all of this account information with you, hear the passwords, you know, I will provide an annual accounting, that is a very good idea. And for me as a trustworthy attorney, um, as an elder law attorney who is power of attorney for my dad, um, my sister and I, you know, probably don't look over the, you know, over those numbers as often as as we should. But I have no issue doing so, and frankly, neither should any other, uh, you know, anybody serving as power of attorney. If if daylight or if transparency is a problem, you should not be in that job.
0: Meta, you're seeing this too. Do you or are you seeing and recommending to your families that they kind of look at where the spending is to see changes in patterns by uh, elderly adults.
3: Yes, absolutely we are and we are when we are in the home we observe too are there stacks of mail sitting around. It is amazing. You will find checks, uncashed checks, from dividend checks from 2 or 3 years ago that that aren't cashed. Uh, those are some signs that we look for, of course, the very obvious of the utilities being turned off or something like that. Um, so we do see that and absolutely they they need someone to assist them there again, not to take things away, but to more of the idea of teamwork and collaboratively, working collaboratively with someone with your finances is very important for a senior so then hopefully they don't end up in Jean's office.
0: <laughs> so, so we've talked about powers of attorney that might assist our elderly, and, and Paul mentioned what I refer to as a POA account at banks. Don't, and I'll say this more bluntly than Paul, don't go to a bank and open a joint account. You're going to get to the clerk, and the clerk doesn't know there's any other account, very politely asked to seek to the supervisor. It's called a POA account, but nobody should be doing joint accounts. But 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 Meta, let me ask this. Let's talk about health care decisions. We're not gonna rise to the level of a guardian. What can we do to assist both our elderly and the children helping making the decisions, help them make decisions for healthcare? What can we do?
3: Well, that is where we can come in as a care manager where you do assess the client and you get all the medical information and and then talk to the children at as a professional, about what you see are are the problem areas, or uh, maybe the pitfalls uh, for a senior. Um, walking, ambulation, is the most important thing when seniors have some uh, some trouble ambulating. Uh, let's see about getting them some physical therapy. Let's see about getting an assistive device for walking because falls are the number one downfall for seniors it's the sequelae the long-term effects of a fall are are a great cause of death in seniors uh, to help guide to help navigate the family through the system of helping them understand that somebody does need to advocate for their loved one at the doctor's office and be slow with the senior and let them be part of making a decision see what their goals are for their life because have with my experience and especially with my hospice experience a lot of times the family wants the client to live longer than they want to live so seniors have goals too so it's very important what is their goal for their health care.
1: Medic, can you, when you talk about making their, their decisions, um, seniors sometimes have decisions they need to make about end of life care. Can you talk about advanced directives just briefly what they are and why they, sh- they are so important?
3: Yes, advanced directives are uh, not only appointing an agent that if you are incapacitated, makes care decisions but there's are specific areas uh, of health care. Do you want to be on a ventilator? Do you want dialysis? Uh, do you want to be resuscitated? Uh, there are so many uh, options in our health care now, short of being on a ventilator, that need to be discussed, like dialysis uh, um, of what you want. So it's very important that your desires are written down so, again, the person that is your medical power of attorney is simply an agent for your wishes.
0: And I want, to, I want to comment kind of briefly. One is if you have the conversation regarding the healthcare directive, you can now start to talk about other decisions, not necessarily totally end of life, but while the person's on the subject, it may be an icebreaker, so to speak. But I also want to remind people that the healthcare directive is also to protect the child. And what I mean by protect the child is it is very hard to make decisions, particularly those that may affect the health of a loved one. And knowing that this is what they want, in my opinion, really helps the family member go forward in that. Let's shift gears a bit, Gene. Um, tell us, tell our listeners what we can do to protect our seniors and our parents from scam artists.
2: Well, um, one thing—if
0: anything—there's
2: <laughs> <laughs> a conversation that that I'll have with groups of seniors, and I'll say, you know, here are the things to watch out for. And this is a conversation that that you can have um, with with someone that you care about. That is maybe not as um, skeptical, maybe not as jaded as the rest of us, you know, um, because they do come from a a gentler, more polite time. My my favorite thing to tell seniors is if someone calls you up on the phone and says, I'm going to ask you some questions, hang up. And I say, don't be afraid of being rude. Why should anyone call you up and start asking you questions? Uh, Why should you answer them? Um, You don't have to say, well, I'd rather not give that information. You can just hang up the phone. More importantly, if someone says you've won a sweepstakes, you haven't. You know, you just have not won a sweepstakes. And the most important thing to tell them not to do is to give their personal information over the phone. Um, the case that I, that I mentioned at the beginning was a telemarketing case. You've won $50,000, oh my God, I'm so excited. Um, now, for your security, and that's my favorite line, for your security, I'm gonna need your mother's maiden name and your social security number, and your date of birth, so we can deposit this money right into your bank account, Uh, go ahead and give us, go get your checkbook, I'll wait. You know, it takes a while, because they know they're talking to someone who's 80 or 90 years old. I'll wait while you walk over and get your checkbook. Now, read me those numbers on the bottom of the check. And then they will even go so far as to say, read me that check number. Because if you're calling up a bank and you're trying to make a uh, check by phone, you need to know the check number as well as the account number. And then they'll say, oh, we need the social security number. They've got all of that. Well, seniors need to know, don't give that information over the phone. um, Because when they were growing up and when they were young adults, this simply was not an issue. Um, They also need to know not to hire um, someone who knocks on your door and says, you've got a loose shingle. uh, You've got a tree limb that needs to come down. I've got some extra asphalt in my truck. I cannot tell you how many cases I have of home repair fraud, and they'll go up on the roof, and they know the senior can't follow them on the ladder. They don't know what they did on the roof. I think they're up there, you know, playing words with friends on their phone. I don't know what they're doing, but they stay up for three or four hours, come down. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky I stopped by. Uh, You owe me $8,000. So... Don't get in the pickup truck with them to go to the bank to get the money. You know, these are the things that that I tell seniors, and it would be the same advice I would um, tell adult children to have this conversation uh, with their seniors um, because this is the sort of thing that's out there. Oh, oh, and also, if if someone calls up and says, hi, this is your grandson, um, and I'm in jail. No, he's not. Um, call your call the person's mother or father and see if it's true the first thing that the scam artist will say is don't call mom you know please don't call mom she'll be so upset call mom it's not true Um, and it's amazing how successful that particular scam is Um, what they'll say next is I need money for bond um, I've got to get out of jail. And they'll even say there was a car accident. They think I was drunk driving. And that's why my voice doesn't sound like it normally does. I hit my mouth on the steering wheel. They've got it all figured out. Uh, just hang up the phone. Call your, your son or daughter. You'll find out that he's happily off in college and he's not in jail at all. Um, those are the kind of scams that are out there. So having a conversation with the seniors about what is what could happen to them and what what kind of scams are, are, might be thrown at them is really important. And not giving their personal information to someone who called them is probably the number one thing.
4: I actually have one addition to that, Jean. I know in my, my grandmother Black, uh, in my hometown of Albany, Georgia, the last several years of her life, she had a plague of locusts in the form of sweepstakes scams that would arrive by mail. She also received a lot of scam phone calls from two locations, Boston, Massachusetts, and Montego Bay, Jamaica. Uh-huh. So what did her enterprising grandson do? Uh, he had, and that's me, I had years mm-hmm. of failed conversations with her where I tried to tell her that she would not win these sweepstakes. Eventually, uh, when she agreed to let me become her power of attorney, We actually filtered her mail. And yes, there was language in the power of attorney that allowed me to do that. I told her, I said, you know, do I have your permission to filter the mail coming in and stop these things from reaching you? And in a moment of clarity one day, she said, yes.
0: And you can do phone numbers too and area code.
4: Right. So phone numbers, and I'm going to plug this device. There is, you can go on Amazon or on the Digitone. That's D-I-G-I-T-O-N-E. It is a wonderful little $100 box. And that seems like a lot of money, but... This device will allow you to block entire area codes, entire exchanges. So uh, I don't recall the area code for uh, Montego Bay, Jamaica, but I can tell you that for the That's last year one. and a half of my grandmother's life, she didn't get any calls from Jamaica because they could not get through. And little things like that make a world of difference. And let's think about what motivates these seniors to, to talk. Um, it's isolation, it's loneliness. And that is a call to action for any loving family member to enlist the help of a care manager or someone else to make sure that the conditions in that senior's home are not ripe for abuse.
2: And let, let me jump in for just a minute because what, what I found in my telemarketing cases um, is that once somebody has given money uh, in response to one of these sweepstakes scams um, – they will. Their phone number gets stars next to it, and I, I mean it. I it's mean, on it's, a sucker list. It's appalling, and that list gets you know people pay a lot of money for that list. These are people that will give money because they owe taxes on on their sweepstakes winnings, and they need to send money out first, and all the different things. Um, and they get you know five stars. That phone number simply needs to be changed once once you've be, been suckered. Um, and I know it's not, it's actually a big deal. For anyone to change your phone number, especially a senior, they're going to say, what about all the people who know my number? Um, And I would encourage the um, the adult child to help them and say, I'm going to go through your address book. I'm going to tell everyone your new number. Um, But that number is marked (laughs) uh, once they've been suckered a few times. And it might be the the best solution is to simply change it.
4: And I I do want to, one last plug that I think Jean and Craig and I and Millie would agree upon. Uh, These, you know, responses may seem extreme. The alternative, as I've seen in my own family, uh, is theft of tens of thousands of dollars or more over a longer period of time. So part of being a loving son or daughter or someone else or responsible power of attorney is to step in, roll up your sleeves, have these tough conversations, and get these protective measures in place, but still do so in a way that hopefully honors the autonomy of the senior you're serving.
1: Well, thank you very much, Paul and Meta and Jean. I appreciate all the good advice you've given us this morning. Um, And while we want to block scammers from contacting our elderly citizens, we don't want to block anyone from contacting you. So let's go around and just, if you'd all give us your contact information so our listeners can have it, that will be helpful.
2: Okay. uh, The DeKalb District Attorney's Office is 404-371-2561. And you can always ask for me, Jean Canavan, or
3: um, the White Collar Elder Exploitation Unit. Thank you. Meta we can be reached Meta Johnson and Associates uh, at www.metajohnson.com or call our office at <laughs> 404-402-6027 and we'll be happy to help you with any issues with your aging parents or loved ones. And Paul.
4: And for Brandon Black, you can reach us online at www.georgia dash elderlaw.com or by phone. That's seven seven zero eight five four zero six eight eight.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening, and I want to thank our guest today. It is clear we need to have another show on things we can do to protect our elderly because we just scratched the surface, but it is a joy to hear how you're emphasizing that the loving child can exhibit their love by protecting their elderly. So as we wrap up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gasolwich frankel please go to our website at com, And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Canavan, Meta Johnson, and Paul Black. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 830 here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X.